So Andrew told you guys that, you know, we spent a lot of time this week at the advanced conference. Andrew hurt his back. He couldn't go. Um, and he was also, I think, ordained to be ready to, to help um, Bill and Jeannie through this incredibly cataclysmic week for them as Bill goes to wait for Jeannie uh, in the heavenly places. And they deal with what is unbelievable to have to deal with. And um, but so it was, you know, but, but most of our team's there. And um, so it was kind of a, a wild thing to be there in the midst of, of all that's going on in our church, particularly with, with, with Bill and Jeannie. And one of the things that was so wonderful is um, I emailed uh, PJ um, Smythe, the, the sort of executive director or so of Advance, and and just talk to him a little bit about, you know, our church is going through a lot of things. And um, we know that the culture in advance, their background with Terry Virgo and New Frontiers means that they're connected to probably a more, um, I don't know, more well-exercised, well-worked-out uh, prophetic ministry among some of their people than than we would necessarily be used to over the last several years. And I can explain what all that means. But it just meant that that I said, you know, PJ, if there are folks who are particularly gifted in the gift of prophecy, we'll talk about that a little bit here today. Some of you guys are just like, what are you talking about? It doesn't mean writing new Bible. Um, it does mean thinking that the Lord has put something specific on your heart for someone. Um, and uh, trying to humbly bring that to them. I, and if there were some folks who were like that, might there be a time for some prayer? And one of the sweetest things about that conference, I think there were probably a couple of thousand people there, you think, Fred and Jackie? I mean, it just felt like it was a huge conference. But they made a point to the whole conference to talk about um, some of the real significant struggles we've been through as a church. And could anybody who's gifted that way set aside some time you know, on Thursday after session three to go to a room and we're going to pray over that church. So, you know, I think the whole CLC staff came there, but there were lots of other key, you know, leaders in, in that group and other folks who came from advance and just prayed over a church, including PJ. And just that they completely, you know, took a half hour out of the schedule at the, at the highest levels of, of the, the leadership to, to pray for us was just a really sweet and loving thing to do. And we felt the effects of that. Uh, and it didn't, no other church received that, you know. So it was really, really kind. And, um, and w- one of the guys, uh, named Matthew Hoosier from the UK had a word that I just thought would, um, hopefully encourage you. You know, he talked about having this sense that our church is like a tree. And in some ways there's been like, uh, uh there's been stuff buckling around the trunk of our tree, like an iron, you know, frame around it. Um, holding it in or pressure pressurizing it and and he just he just had this sense of god just saying um there's going to be significant growth there's going to be significant time this this pruning this difficult season is going to lead to a lot of fruit um and and, and his point and he said because the roots are deep the roots are deep he just kept saying the roots are deep um and i, and I just think like you know he doesn't know our church but that's just true like when he said that the roots are deep the roots are deep i just thought I thought about our church family. I thought about everybody I know in this church. And I thought, you know, that does mark us. The roots are deep. We've been blessed, you know, uh, for years with, with deep roots relationally uh, towards the Lord, understanding him, understanding his purposes. And, and it just struck, you know, it struck home. The roots are deep. So it was a blessing. Um, so kind of uh, in keeping with, with 
sort of the craziness of last week conference-wise, um, being there, being here, uh, we, we thought about getting a guest speaker for this Sunday, but um, and we, we had one, but as the week wore on, it just felt like it was just on my heart. I didn't feel like we needed to to go outside, you know, our church family this week. I, I just thought this would be a great week to talk about um, this thing called, this document that we've been working on called the Seven Values or, or Seven Values of Living Hope Community Church. Um, let me back up on that a little bit. At a family meeting a few weeks ago, we briefly walked through. Greg just briefly talked about this document that our team began to develop earlier this summer. And that we've been honing since. It's called, you know, we don't have like an official title or book binding for it. But called the Seven Values for Living Hope Church or Seven Values for. And the purpose of this document was to try to distill these things that we think God wants to mark our church with. That he thinks he wants to, to really adjectivize our church. To, to explain what our church is. The flavor of our church. The life of our church. To give us a vision a picture of what our church should be and to, and to bring these things down to a sizable and relatable group that we could use in, in, in a few different ways, that we could use these, these seven values to communicate our values to each other uh, and to the world outside in a, in a really hopefully accessible and understandable way and two, to use them to really evaluate our church and evaluate our leadership. And if we have these values, how does what we're doing as a, as a leadership team, as a church family, how does it reflect those values? How does it not reflect those values? And to help us make, you know, better decisions ab- about what we're going to be investing in going forward. And, and so we started by putting everything that we could think of on a, on a whiteboard, you know, uh, of, of things that we thought were pictures of the biblical church that we felt like from the word of God, God was calling us to be. I mean, everything we could think of. And, and then we tried to get it to a more manageable number by condensing it down, fitting what we saw as sub-values over more major categories, and we boiled it down to seven. It seemed like that number was was somewhat manageable. You could have, We could probably work harder and boil it down to four. We could let loose a little bit and boil it up to 13, and that would be way too much, we think. So, but it, seven, okay? Can we just hang out with seven for right now? Um, there's no rule about seven, um, but, but, but this morning what we just wanted to do was to bring you into this more fully. So I'm going to go over these seven values. I'm going to unpack them. We're still tweaking the wording, and, and like I said, maybe you guys will come to us and say, we need an eighth value. We didn't see it. Okay. Um, we're not quite ready to slap them up on our website, but we hope to do that soon, and we feel pretty confident about them. And, and why do we feel confident about these seven values? And, and this is... This is why I think we feel confident about these seven values. Because there's nothing surprising about them. You're not going to be shocked this morning. You're not going to find this value. Oh my gosh, the New Testament church is called to be like this? I mean, you might be encouraged about how some of these values show up in your experience in our church family already. Hopefully many of them will. You might be sad that others feel underdeveloped and yet vital, you know? Why aren't we doing more of that? That's the way it goes. But if we're doing our job right... You know, we've been Christians for a long time. We've been trying to pastor for a long time. If we're doing our job right, we should say things to you that you say, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what God calls the church to be in the Bible. This is a good vision. This is what should mark us. This is what we've been trying to be marked in. You know, it's kind of like there's a saying that you don't, um, you don't make a pastor. You discover him. And the idea is that God puts things in a guy through the Holy Spirit 
to pastor his church. And so part of a pastor's team's job is to identify, oh, God's, God's done this. God's doing this in this person. We're just, we're just discovering it, that it's already there. And I think similarly, if the Holy Spirit's in us and he's working in us, we should see these seven values at work in our church to, to greater and lesser degrees already. Does that make sense? So my hope is you guys will not be shocked today. I think that would be bad. But my hope is it will resonate with you and you'll say, I know my Bible well enough to know, Albert, that is what we're called to be. And, and praise God that we're, we're just kind of making that really clear to each other. So I need your prayers really big and you need prayer too um, because there's only one person who can get anything done this morning. There's always only one person who can get anything done. It's not me and it's not your, you know, your discipleship and you're embracing these things. Or So, um, so we got to go. We got to go to him and ask him for help, right? So let's go together. Lord, please, please, um, as I said this week, oh God, I'm so glad that when I'm fearful and I feel condemned, I can say, Abba, Daddy. I don't have to look for myself as the reason why I can say that. I can look at Jesus and his sacrifice and say to my fear and my anxiety, my condemnation, no, 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 no. I'm calling you daddy in Jesus' name, not my own righteousness. And you confirmed to me that I can say that to you. So daddy, I ask you in Jesus' name to bless what we're going to talk about this morning, to use it in our life as a church to grow us. And would you please use it to bless my brothers and sisters to lift them up and to lift me up? Would you please help me not to be dumb and selfish and foolish as I read over these notes and think about different things, Lord, that you might um, want me to emphasize or just, Lord, have your way with this message this morning, Lord. Please help me to honor you, Lord God. Please help me to glorify you. And please, Lord, help your people to hear where you're speaking and where you're at work in their hearts. Lord, this is completely in keeping with your will. And Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to ask you to do this and know that we're heard. So I put my confidence that you will work to this end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, now we'll try to get through all seven at this hour. I I wonder if we might have to hold off on a couple, but I hope not. So I'm going to try to move pretty quick here. Um... And if you have questions about these things, please feel free to come up to me after the service or email me. Um, so the, the first value that we want to highlight this morning is that Living Hope Church seeks to be a gospel-centered church. That we want to be a gospel-centered church. The gospel of Jesus, this is a little paragraph blurb under each of these values. There's a little paragraph blurb that's being worked on. And here's what we have under this. The gospel of Jesus is the very center and hope of our life as a church. Through Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, we have received the gift of eternal life with God. This means that we now have a relationship with God as our very Father. This means that we are forgiven forever. And righteous in Christ, indwelt by his Holy Spirit and secure in him for eternity. This salvation is a free gift received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it is not based on anything we have or ever will do. Our passion as a church is to keep Jesus and all he is for us at the center. 
of our life together. We are a gospel-centered church. There's probably no more definitive historical marker of our church than this that I would know of, that I would feel in my own experience. I I hope it would be true for for you, that we want to be a gospel-centered church. We have striven to be a gospel-centered church. In August of 1992, I came to believe that Jesus died for my sins and he saved me as a gift through faith. In that moment, for me, a history of 11 years, I was 20, and I looked back at a history of 11 years as a 20-year-old of, of mental illness and horrible spiritual darkness, going back to when I was about 8 years old. And God took it away in a moment. Um, now, since then, I've had many battles with intense discouragement and anxiety, but that hope that I received that day has never left me. It's made a critical difference. It was a miracle for me. It was a miracle what God set me free from that morning, that afternoon. And it all came through this knowledge that he told me that Jesus had taken all that I could ever do on his son. Past, present, future sins. Nothing could keep me from him anymore. And a decade or so later, around the year 2000, after many years of up and down growth as a Christian, very up and down growth as a Christian, God began to stabilize that roller coaster a little bit as I realized the vital importance through uh, Jerry Bridges' book called The Gospel for, no, The Discipline of Grace that I got through my friend and, and Sovereign Grace Ministries, Keith. And I realized the vital importance that each day I need to stand on this. By grace you've been saved. This is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. The good news that Jesus' death and resurrection told me that I'm no less forgiven on my worst days than I am on my best days. That I'm no more righteous or less righteous on my worst days before God in his courtroom than I am on my worst days. That though I go up and down, my righteousness in Christ, my forgiveness in Christ, it does not change. My acceptance before God, it does not change because it's about what Christ did, not what I did. And this solidified me in a way I'd never been solidified before as a Christian. It changed my life, my, my walk with God. And still to this day, I just I have to go back to it again and again and again. And this value expresses very personally in our experience what we've called our reformed theological position. You'll see on our website that we're reformed. We, and this, really, it, it, this essentially means we believe that God saves us by his sovereign grace. That's why we were called sovereign grace before. And that's, we changed our name, but we don't change that belief. He chose us apart from anything in us. In fact, he chose us despite what was in us. And he sees us to the end. He makes us endure by that same sovereign grace by which he chose us. So essentially being gospel centered, I mean, this deserves its own series, right? I got a few minutes to talk about this, but essentially being gospel centered is all about relying on his power. It's all about relying on his promises every day to save you and keep you. This value, it fosters humility because you know it's not what you deserve that saves you. It's about being forgiven of what you deserve that saves you. It fosters hope because you know that if eternal, eternal salvation is a free gift, if it's really eternal, it can't be lost. It fosters joy because you know you're loved, not by what you do, but by the heart of a father who knew all about you before you even heard of him. He set his love on you. He decided 
to save you forever. He's not going to go back on that. This is our fuel. This is, our, this is the core. This is the nuclear core of our church. This is the warp drive. If you're a Star Trek nerd like I am. Captain, there's something wrong with the gospel engine. What are you talking about, Scotty? It's the gospel engine. We don't need the lithium crystals. We're good. Oh, that's right, Captain. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. We want to be a church that's not just trusting God for salvation on day one or day 14. We want to be a church that's trusting in God for our salvation on day 4,753 and not trusting in our performance. From the cradle to the grave of faith, we're banking on who Jesus is for us and not ourselves. And that, above all things, is what we have to offer each other and what we have to offer this world. We must be a gospel-centered church, not just for our own joy, but for our own joy. Not just for one another's joy and for one another's joy. But Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We need to be a gospel-centered church for this world that is terribly, terribly broken because of its rejection of God. And what fathers do to their sons and daughters and what one generation leaves to another generation of just brokenness. Um... Just like Gary Johnson, I'm ashamed to admit, I think his name is Gary Johnson, right? That, that third-party candidate guy? I did not know what Aleppo meant. But I've been watching a little bit, and it's horrifying. It's horrifying. I thought about how much Syria needs the gospel. How much Assad needs the gospel. How much that baby being brought out of that rubble needs the gospel. How much a lot of children going up in inner city Baltimore who would look at our lives and say, what world is this? What country is this? How much they need the gospel. But we don't get there by abandoning the gospel ourselves in our own experience. We have to keep the embers going and flowing and on fire in our own hearts so that we, so we can, we have something to bring. We have something to offer. So much more I could say about that, like I said. I need to keep going here. Number two, we are a Bible-believing church. We are a Bible-believing church, little paragraph says. We believe the Bible is fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, completely true. God's revelation of himself in the scriptures is our foundation as a church family. It's our guide in all matters of life. We believe that knowing, trusting, and obeying God's holy word is absolutely essential to our spiritual health and our unity as a church family. We're a Bible-believing church. When, when Jesus comes into your life... You may not be a Bible-believing person. Uh, he, he, I didn't believe the Bible was fully true when I heard the gospel and was made to believe the gospel. But through his Holy Spirit, he began to convict me that this word is true. And this makes sense, of course, because Jesus, the same guy who said, my sheep hear my voice, they hear Jesus' voice. That same voice said, the scriptures cannot be broken. That same voice appealed to the scriptures again and again and again throughout his life on earth as the absolutely inviolable. I said that wrong. <laughs> um, can someone say inviolable for me? Monty, can you do it? Inviolable. Thank you. It is unimpeachable, unimpurable. It, it, is, it is what he banked his witness on again and again in the gospels was the word of God. He said it cannot be broken. And so... 
the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, opens our eyes to that. There's this doctrine called the self-authenticating nature of, of the word of God. It's, it's really a neat idea. It just means that when you, you look at God's truth on the outside, something on the inside confirms it to you that it's true. It fights for its truth in your heart. You might resist it. You might war with it. But something inside through the Holy Spirit, his sheep hear his voice and he's saying, this is my word. Jesus said that God's word is as important for our life as food. That we can't live just by food. We have to live by his word. The word describes itself. God describes his words as a lamp, as a light. It's like a fire. It's like a hammer. It's like milk. It's perfect. It's right. It's true. It's more precious than gold. It's alive. It is sure. He calls his word life. It is truth. It is sweeter than honey. It is a sword. It is sharper than a sword. God says his word warns us. It cleans us. It saves us. It restores us. And so we need his word. And we recognize that it's not we who stand above God's word, but it's God's word that stands above us. My job isn't to master God's word. My job is to be mastered by God's word. We don't want to be a church that picks what we like and doesn't like, like cafeteria style out of the Bible. Oh God, I agree with what you say here about human sexuality. Boy, this world. But I don't like this part here about refraining from anger or caring for the poor or the idols of greed. That stuff, that's not for me. I'll just put that away. I'm not cheating on my wife. Meanwhile, my home is my God. My, my money is my Lord. No, we need the whole Bible. The, the Bible talks about a time when people will not endure its teaching. Paul said there will come a time when people will not, they will not, they will not be able to stand sound teaching. But what they'll do is they'll go find teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And Paul told the Ephesian church that he was innocent of their blood. Why? Because he didn't kill any of them? No, he said, I'm innocent of your blood because I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't tell you just what was comfortable for me to say and just what was comfortable for you to hear. No, I told you everything because you needed it to protect you and grow you. And, and, and when we embrace the whole Bible, when we fight for the whole Bible and not just pick what we prefer, it does, I'm not saying it doesn't require struggles to interpret and understand. Sometimes it does. But when we just say at the outset, Lord, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you for who you are and not for who I want you to be. When we do that with his word, it protects us. It grows us. It, it does it by forcing us to mature and to live with tensions that make us uncomfortable, like faith and good works. Like sovereignty and human responsibility. Like God's love for the world and the reality of, of, of God's wrath and hell. A full embrace of all the Bible prevents us from trying to turn the gospel into this comfy sleep mask. That I, that I can just wear on my flight. Far above the demands of purity. Far above the demands of the poor and the suffering. I can just put that thing on my flight to heaven and just be like, boy, that world is so... Messed up down below, Lord, but I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. The, the Bible will not let us do that with the gospel. James will punch you out. Faith without works is dead, he'll say. Kapow. So a full embrace of the Bible prevents us from, from doing to the gospel, that first value, what, what our flesh might want to do with it. We are a Bible-believing church. You guys, I just want to be like, woo, when I say that. I mean, that, that seriously, I'm just so proud of my God and my people, that, that we're here because if he changed us and we love his word. Ugh. 
All right. Where's my little sweat rag or something? Okay. Number three, we are a spirit-filled church. I knew you were going to say that, Melody. We are a spirit-filled church. We believe the Holy Spirit forever indwells all who belong to Jesus from the moment of salvation. But we also seek his continued empowering so that we can love God, each another, and the lost We also believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the church today. We want to seek them so that we can serve one another and the world through them. That's a little paragraph blurb. If you guys like this and I don't get really mean emails, I'll send this whole thing out to you guys. I'm just kidding. Okay, so by spirit-led, we we mean this this in two major components, really. Well, really, there's three, but but two of them uh, go go easier together. This this indwelling aspect, Romans 8 talks about this idea that Jesus comes to live in you when you're saved. That if you're saved, you have Jesus. If you're not saved, you don't have his Holy Spirit. And throughout your life, this spirit is the person by which you put to death the deeds of the flesh. He is the power source for you to bear fruit in love and joy and peace and kindness and patience. The spirit is your power source for daily following the Lord. And he does this largely through the word, but he does it. It comes from the spirit. And also, he is the power source we have for witnessing to the world. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to the apostles when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're not ready to go out, he said to Peter. You saw what happened with that servant girl that you you chickened out with. You need the Holy Spirit, Peter. So wait. And when he blew the Holy when he blew up, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. When that, when that metaphor turned into the reality at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in and dwelled them, they were ready to be witnesses for God. So the Spirit allows us to love each other and to love the world. But, but more specifically, just as pointedly for who we are and where we are as a church, we want to be a Spirit-led church concerning the specific gifts He's given to each one of us to build each other up and to be a witness to the world, including what are classically called charismatic gifts, gifts like healing and tongues and word of knowledge, miracles, for, especially prophecy. Perhaps first and premier among these gifts in its building up power, its ability to, to build up the church is this gift Paul calls prophecy. Paul says, I, I, I wish you could all speak tongues, but prophecy is the one that I wish you to have above every other. One of the manifestations of the gift of prophecy is, is when God puts on your heart and mind, like we saw today with Fred and Buzz, a message that's specific to your life and your circumstance from another believer. It comes in the form of an exhortation or an encouragement or a comfort. And, and, and God knows what you don't know, but he puts it on your heart. And he says, hey, just, you know, at the advanced conference, Matthew Hoosier did not know our church. There are lots of churches that God loves and their roots are not deep yet. But Matthew, God said to Matthew, that church, their roots are deep. And that's what's going to sustain that community. And he was right. Um, so what Matthew didn't know, God didn't know. He put it on Matthew's heart and Matthew, he said it. So we're eager to desire gifts like this. They can move things faster along in our life than... Than without it. Some folks point to the potential messiness of spiritual gifts like prophecy as proof that we should avoid all that charismatic stuff. That's exactly what Paul didn't say. He got into the mess of the mess of Corinth and he just said, you guys gotta, you gotta, you gotta order this right. He didn't say get rid of it. It's not true. That's, first Corinthians is all about a church that was abusing and disordered in their use of the spiritual gifts. And Paul doesn't come and say, see, I told you these things have, have ended. They're not for you. He says, no, we got to get this right. You got to order. You got to clean this stuff up. You got to have this stuff. You got to use this stuff. You got to cultivate this stuff. It's for each other. So here's how you do that. The Bible says, 
don't throw away this stuff. It's just the opposite. It, it, in in uh, 2 Thessalonians, I believe it's 2 Thessalonians 5, there's this wonderful, just rich passage. Just a drive-by of like a couple of phrases, but it's so rich. There Paul says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. And some translations say, don't hold prophecy in contempt. I mean, it, it's kind of like saying, you know... We, we know this prophecy thing can be vulnerable to contempt and to being despised because it's messy, it's weird, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's, it's, it's wrong, or it's, you see in part, you don't see in full. And then he goes on, verse 21, about this gift of prophecy. He says, examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Don't hold fast to everything. Use your brains. Examine it. Be Berean. Compare it to my word. Keep what's there. That's good. That's confirmed by my word. And abstain from every form of evil. What, what just, the Lord will help us to strain out the good, to strain out the bad and keep the good. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, Buzz and, and the people who have a sense of a burden for the prophecy might come up to Andrew or you know, Chris or me, usually not me. I'm usually back there with my kids. But, but they, they say, here's what I feel like God is saying. And, and the pastor tries to help them and say, okay, let's see. You know, here, here, here's, I think this can benefit and be edifying. Or, or maybe let's wait on that. Let's try to develop that a little bit more. And we need more teaching on that. And, and, and Lord willing, this year we're going to make a concerted effort to go deeper into the person power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I want to be careful with this because I... I'm part of a team, but, you know, one of our plans which we're thinking about developing is that, that our next series would be a series, a short series on the Holy Spirit to go into some of these things. So the team is still deciding on that and working on that out. So if that, for some reason, we change directions because of something, don't come back. You lied to us. Um, but that's been sort of the, the general sense for a while now. So we, cause we want this church to be refreshed in this understanding of the Holy Spirit and his gifts and our ability to identify how we are gifted by him and to be able to use those gifts this is not going as quickly as I'd hoped. Okay, um, number four. We are a prayer-saturated church. We want to be. We seek to be. We value being a prayer-saturated church. Here's this little paragraph blurb underneath that. We believe only God's power can achieve God's will. We believe God longs for us to depend on him always so that he might show us how loving, wise, and powerful he is. We believe Jesus has made it possible for us to draw near to God to discover this in every need. For all these reasons, we seek to make, an, we seek to make earnest prayer a part of all we do as a church. Spurgeon said, whether we like it or not, asking, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. If you may have everything by asking in his name, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. James said, you have not because you ask not. God, help me not to not have because I don't ask. Paul said, Paul, the apostle Paul was always asking for prayer. He was always asking for prayer. He wasn't a people pleaser. He wasn't trying to buddy up to people. He, he had incredible intellect. He had incredible insight into the Holy Spirit. He had a great gift of faith. He knew the Bible. He was writing the Bible. He was desperate for prayer. I know that through your prayers, 
and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Why didn't he just say, I know that through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance? He went out of his way a lot to not just say that, but to say, and through your prayers, because the Holy Spirit of God, the Father, the Son, they work through our prayers. They have given us a ministry of prayer. And they've said, dude, dude use this. I'm not going to, I'm going to answer you, but I'm not going to ask for you. Kevin Halloran observes, nobody knows who he is, but I didn't want to get in copyright trouble with my conscience. Kevin Halloran observes, Paul requests prayer for the right words and sharing the gospel. Paul asked prayer for the right words and sharing the gospel. He asked for prayer about his proclamation of the gospel being clear and without fear. He asked for doors to be opened for the gospel, that God's word would speed ahead and be honored. When Jesus looked at the harvest, he said, go get them, boys. <laughs> no, you know, he, he said, men, pray that the Lord would send laborers into this harvest field. You just, you ask him, Jesus. <laughs> You're the son of God. Or just do it yourself. You're God the son. What do you mean? Men, pray. Don't you have some leverage, Jesus? No, I'm not going to tell you that. Sure, I got leverage. I'm telling you, pray. Pray for laborers. Paul prayed after writing the most amazing theology to them. He would stop in the middle. He does this throughout Ephesians. He stops in the middle and just says, okay, I pray you get this. I pray that God would enlighten your eyes to understand. I pray you'd experience Christ through faith. I pray you'd have power to experience his love. I pray you'd, you'd, you'd have power to know exactly how to love each other. He's not just writing Hallmark cards. He's saying it's not going to work without this. Back to Spurgeon. Oh, without prayer, what are the church's agencies but the stretching out of a dead man's arm or the lifting up of the lid of a blind man's eye? Only when the Holy Spirit comes is there any life and force and power. A, a prayerless church member, this is going to sting a little bit. It might need to be qualified. Let me just say those things. But I, I think there's some meat in here. A prayerless church member, and I would add a prayerless pastor, is a hindrance. He is in the body like a rotting bone or a decayed tooth. Before long, since he does not contribute to the benefit of his brethren through prayer, he will become a danger and a sorrow to them. Neglect of private prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. Listen, I'm not trying to get legalistic. There are reasons where we go through seasons of dryness and discouragement and depression. And it's harder to pray. It's hard. Prayer is warfare. But listen, you are supposed, me and you are supposed to have one person above all others who means the most to us. One person above all others, who means the most to us. Does it make any sense if we don't talk to him and we don't hear from him a lot? Without putting 45 minutes on your quiet time check sheet, you know, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it doesn't make sense to say you love God and never talk to him. It doesn't make sense to, to say you love your boss, but every time he gives you an order, you're just like, he's a, not, not that. It just... It doesn't make sense to say you have a husband redeemer, but every time you, you actually hear what he says, you just, you just turn away from it. 
Yes, you and I, we need to struggle in prayer. It is hard. We are opposed. But Lord, make us desperate to cry out to you for the things that you want to give us. Let us not stop talking to you. When my mom died, it was so hard. I, I think I told some of you guys, I think I took a walk into the woods for 30 or 40 days. And I never, And I didn't come back. That's how it felt my soul. I just walked away. I couldn't do a drop of work. Other people can get through these things quicker than I can. My constitution, it just, it just didn't work. I was broken for a month, 40 days. I mean broken. And it changed in one day. It just changed. You know, God said, okay, you're done with that room of mourning. Now it's back. I couldn't even get back to mourning. But my point is, through that whole season, I had the best piece of advice I had that I never forgot. Just, just one thing one of my best friends said to me right after the day after my mom died. He just said, you keep talking. You keep talking to him. Don't stop talking to him. You might struggle with anger. You might struggle with discouragement. You might struggle with fear. Keep talking to him. Keep the conversation going. It meant everything to me because God was able to do things I was certain were impossible in that season. Because he worked through the conversation. You know, it's hard to define a prayer ministry because prayer should just breathe through everything we do. It's like having a love ministry. (laughs) So who's in charge of the love ministry in your church? Who's in charge of the kindness ministry? I'm Mike. I'm in charge of the kindness ministry. If you want kindness, come and serve on our team. You know, prayer is just difficult that way. It's like you just want every ministry to be saturated with prayer, to experience prayer. Me and Dave have talked about this. You know, just the difficulty of trying to have a prayer ministry. But Dave is so passionate about prayer in our church, gripping our church, David Adams. So we're trying to move forward with with some ways to kind of make it easier and make it more um, grease the wheels on, on prayer for each other. We're planning to continue to hold second Wednesday prayer meetings with with Dave's help and, and the team, Jeremy Tucker has set up a prayer Facebook page for our church. I used it last night. It was super encouraging to drop that sucker right on that Facebook thing and just like, like, comment, comment. I'm like, it's like 1 a.m. Like, like. Oh, you're up late, but you're praying for me. It was so good. What? Uh, excuse me, Melody, I'm preaching. <laughs> what in the world is going on here? This is just... In the middle. Okay, all right. All right, you're right. Sorry. Okay, so I think there's something in the bulletin. I asked if Ariel did her job. There's something supposed to be. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, gosh, please. No, please. <laughs> so bad. Just a joke. Okay. Holy cow, that's right. Oh, Ariel, you are so amazing. I did tell you. Are you here, Ariel? Raise your hand. Didn't I, didn't I thank God for you like crazy this morning? Okay, it's in the bulletin. I'm doing really great things with the five minutes I have left. Okay. So we're hoping, like I said last week, to make prayer bulletins available the Sunday before that meeting. So that whether you're at the prayer meeting or not, you can pray for those same needs each month at home. Wednesday night, you can't go to that meeting. I understand. But you got a list of prayer needs for this church that you can pray for. We're trying to make that happen. And if you want to help with that, please talk to me or David Adams. Okay. All right. Number five. Let me see. Okay, this is going to be rough. Let's see if I can get this done. Number five, we want to be a relationally loving church. Here's the blurb. We believe all our relationships are to be marked by love, a love that is to be modeled after Christ's love for us. 
We believe that our love for each other demonstrates a witness to the world because it expresses the loving unity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, through joy and trials, difficulties and blessings, we seek to love one another by God's power for God's glory. Mark Dever said this. I love this. He tweeted this. I, I just need to tattoo this, you know, to my inner eyelid. Your church is not a project to be fixed. It is a people to be loved. Boom! Your church is not a project to be fixed. It is a people to be loved. Folks, if you don't get that, get that. Pastoral team, if we don't get that, elders, caregivers, get that. Your church is not a project to be fixed. It is people to be loved. And you have to love them with the truth sometimes, right? That feels like project fixing. But it's at the core, it's these people you're trying to love. I've been really helped by John 17, 23. I got to preach this a few weeks ago. And there we're told that we are loved by God even as he loves his own son. I am making progress by God's grace in looking at, at members in this church differently because of that verse. And I'm looking at it. And I just want to say to you, I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to start all of my sermons this year with just sayings every time I get up to preach or do anything public, just to say, I am so Happy to tell you that you are loved, even as God loves his own son. Brothers and sisters, how good to be with the people that are loved, even as God loves his own son. And just to, be, just to begin to think of each other that way, it sets us up for success from the outset. The person I'm having a conflict and a struggle with, just to go back, okay, we've got to work through some stuff, but how am I looking at them? They are loved, even as God loves his own son. Love is the fulfillment of the entire law, Paul says. The way we treat one another is the way we treat Jesus, who lives in one another. In Matthew 25, there is the scene of the final judgment. It's terrifying. It is the only long-form interview that we get between Jesus and those who come before him. It's like he gave us the exam ahead of time, so that those who really believed in him and what he said would strive and struggle to be what he's called them to be and what he's made them to be in their salvation. It's theologically tricky, but, but it's, like we said, we've got to embrace the whole Bible. And do you know what this exam is that Jesus gives them? He, he essentially says, how you loved my brothers and sisters is exactly how you loved me. The least of my brothers who was in prison, in need, who was hungry, who was thirsty, who was naked, that's how you treated me. On November 6th, we're going to be hearing a message, Lord willing, at this church, at this time, from a representative of the International Christian Concern for the Persecuted Church. He's going to come and preach that day. May the Lord equip us to love each other and to love his people hurting and hungry and sick and thirsty. And more than that, the Lord tells us that that value witnesses to the world that Jesus is real. We've talked about this a lot in John 17. We want the aroma of our care for each other to be available for God to spread out as air to breathe to those who, who come around us and see us. I talked a couple weeks ago about how, how different it was for me to watch as I was being drawn by Christ early as a Christian, to watch Christians treat each other compared to how my high school buddies treated each other. Number six, a disciple-making church. Oh, you know what? I better stop. Let, let me just go over just a real quick thing. I'll come back to this last one. We'll, we'll try to find a way to get six and seven in at some point. Um, 
I think that, um, that as you think about this list, and, and I will send out the whole thing, you're going to, like I said, you're going to look at some things and you're going to say, thank God for where our church is at. And other things you're going to say, man, we're just not there. And, and that's true. But, but that's, <laughs> that's the church. Paul, when he wrote to 1 Corinthians, wrote 1 Corinthians, he wrote to a church that was such a mess. Such a mess. But he loved on it. He told them who they were in Christ. I mean, they had problems that make some of our problems look like not problems. And he just cradled that church in his arms. And yes, he gave them some what fors. But you read 1 Corinthians... And he just lavishes love on that church. And he builds that, we talked about this before, Eric Hughes' phrase. He, he, he builds a bridge of love with that church that truth can walk across. And so I, I just, I just want to encourage you folks. Um, this is a community project, this church. I mean, people we loved. But my, my, my point is, this is your church. You are the church. One of the most painful things about people leaving the church, and people, I hope we are doing better at blessing people on their way out of this church. It is not AD 90 anymore. There isn't only one church in a city, right? There, we're a big church in Frederick, right? There are lots of godly people who live in this town who go to different churches. God bless them. May we care and pray for their ministry. May we see people go to those churches blessed. But one of the disorienting things about people leaving is that when people leave a church, they are the church they're leaving. They take a piece of that church away from that church. And it's not necessarily bad at all. It just means, folks, this is your church. You are this church. And I, just don't look at me and Fred and Greg and Chris and Andrew alone to get this church together. If you see stuff that you want to see change in this church, be part of that change. It doesn't mean that you don't have stuff to tell us. That's how we change to, to a large degree. But it, it does mean, ask not what your church can do for you. <laughs> right? Ask what you could do for your church. That's a real thing. It's not the only thing. You should expect from your leadership care and love and wisdom and diligence. But it's, this is your church. This is your chance to love God's people. They're, they're right here. You don't have to. You can. You might need to. God might be calling you to go to a church that's not this church. But you don't have to. <laughs> There are some people right here to love and to invest in and to go to care group with and to, to, to take to the hospital and to take meals in. They're, they're right here. So let's, let's be the church. Let's love each other. Let's glorify God. And let's be a witness to those around us. And someday we'll get to these last two. Amen? Amen. Thanks so much.